0: Hi, listeners. It's me, Courtney. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to ask a huge favor of you. To help us spread the news about Here's What I've Heard, please consider giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. That's what helps other podcast lovers find us via iTunes and other apps. You can also find us at any time on social media and share links to your favorite episodes. Just visit com to get connected to our accounts. Thanks so much for your support. We couldn't do it without you. Okay, now back to the show.
1: Previously on Here's What I've Heard.
0: Linda left school after discovering she was pregnant and her and Jerry wed on October 6th, 1960. But at 21 years old, Linda's life and the lives of her husband and baby daughter were ended abruptly by Thomas Kaler. Linda was buried with her jewelry, but not her child. Teresa Robin can be found a few plots away from Jerry and Linda. According to reports, the two brothers she left behind were saved only because they were playing on the floor of the family station wagon. Upon their release from the hospital, the question everyone had on their mind was this. Who would care for Jerry and Linda's sons?
2: But that was always wondering in my mind, you know, why in God's name did somebody else take these kids?
0: On the night of November 6, 1965, four-year-old Jerry Klein was thrown through the windshield of his parents' car when it was hit by a drunk driver named Thomas Kaler. His younger brother, three-year-old Paul, flew into the seats. Three days later, back in Pennsylvania, the Lebanon Daily News reported the following.
1: It is believed the Klein sons were saved from more serious injury by the fact that they were playing on the floor in the back of the station wagon when the accident occurred.
0: While both children were initially in critical condition, Paul was released after roughly two weeks, and Jerry was soon able to join him. On December 2, 1965, almost a month after the event, the Hanford Sentinel reported,
1: Crash orphan children fly to Pennsylvania Uncle. Jerry and Paul Klein, who were orphaned last month when an auto accident killed their parents and baby sister, have flown to Anvil, Pennsylvania. Family friend Steve McCarty delivered the boys, aged 4 and 3, to their uncle in Pennsylvania last weekend. Over 400 Avenal area residents contributed to a fund which helped to pay for transportation and winter clothing for the boys. VA-127, their father's former squadron at Lamore NAS, made a special group donation to the fund which was in charge of Lloyd Path. After their release from the hospital, the boys stayed with Mr. and Mrs. Edward E. Gialdini. The boys' parents were Mr. and Mrs. Gerald Klein of 425 Merced Street, Avonall. Driver of the other car involved, Thomas Kaler, 23, of 11774 Second Place, Hanford, has been charged with felony drunken driving and four counts of vehicular manslaughter. Klein, an employee of Standard Oil, had moved to the Avenel area with his wife Linda and their three children immediately after his discharge from the Navy last June. The family was en route to spend the weekend with friends at Lemoore NAS when the fatal accident occurred.
0: My father and uncle had always known that the family was on their way to visit friends at the time of the accident, but neither could remember the names of those friends. Around the time that my dad was in high school, his grandmother Bertha told him that the couple had passed away. He also wasn't clear on how they got back to Pennsylvania from California. His only memory is that he and his brother were traveling with a man who wasn't family. Recently, with the help of a reference librarian from Hanford, California named Sherman, I was able to answer those questions. In an earlier episode, we read an article from the Hanford Sentinel that named the Albert Burns family as the friends the Kleins were on their way to visit. Now we know that they stayed with the Gialdini family after their hospital stays and were flown home by a man named Steve McCarty. It was also deeply touching to see that Jerry's former squadron donated money to help the boys get back to their extended family. A little digging around the newspaper archives revealed that Edgar Gialdini, erroneously listed in the paper as Edward Gialdini, was a manager at Standard Oil, the company my grandfather worked for at the time of his death. I'm not sure if Ed Gialdini knew my grandfather personally, but I did speak to his daughter Martha over Facebook. She said, quote, At that time, Dad was the head of onland oil and natural gas production for Standard Oil, so he was the boss of bosses. Being Italian, he took his responsibilities to the people who worked for him very seriously. Taking your dad and uncle in was not a decision. It was an assumption. That is to say, that's what a person in his position does. Mom was in full agreement. Dad quit Standard Oil in 1978 when the head of the office didn't come through on a promise he made to another worker. They don't make him like that anymore. Ed and his wife, Barbara, were empty nesters. So it seemingly made sense for them to take the boys in. Lloyd Path also worked for Standard Oil and lived in Avenal when the accident occurred. He was the one who organized the winter clothes and transportation funds for Jerry and Paul. I have little to no information about Albert Burns and Steve McCarty. While I understand that Albert was a sailor at Lemoore with my grandfather, I can find no records of him on the usual Navy veteran sites. As for Steve, I'm unsure how my grandparents knew him. He may have been a Lemoore sailor or a standard oil employee, he could have even been someone that my grandfather knew in town, a buddy he played pool with at Grigsby's perhaps. I'm not sure, but I do know that if they were alive to express it, my grandparents would be so grateful for the help of these individuals. While the folks in Avonall came together to care for the Klein boys that first month, the story back in Pennsylvania was a little bit different. For most of his life, my dad believed that no one would step up to take him and his brother and my uncle felt very similarly. After roughly a year of bouncing around their relatives' homes, they were eventually sent to the Milton Hershey School, a boarding school that exclusively accepted orphan boys at the time. Here's my dad, Jerry.
3: I think, I think the whole situation with my aunts and uncles, it just was like almost a perfect storm where like it was... Some situation where they just didn't want to take on more mm-hmm. more work, which is kind of sad in a way. Like, I would never do that. Like, if something happened to Ann or Uncle Paul or somebody, I would have taken them right away. Like, there's no question. Like, mm-hmm. like there's no, like, not even a trial. I would just be like, we're taking them, and we just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean It's I, I don't understand that whole not taking us type of mentality we were too young or we were this or that it's just like oh excuses mm-hmm. yeah, blood is blood man. you take care of them
0: yeah. my uncle Paul also wonders why no one stepped up
4: why we didn't have a decent uncle and aunt anywhere in our family that could have taken us in. Uh, I know all the excuses and yada, yada, yada.
0: It's interesting to note that before being enrolled in Milton Hershey, the boys stayed exclusively in Klein households, never with the yeah. I always,
4: I always got the impression that our mother's family was just shoved to the wayside.
0: I asked my great-uncle Lloyd, Linda's brother, if there was any truth to that sentiment.
5: The Kleins took care of everything. You know, I don't, I don't know if my parents had much to do with any of that. I think the Kleins just kind of took over and took care of everything. I'm not sure how much my parents were involved because they wouldn't talk to us about it. I know my dad was
0: a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first started building my family tree nearly a decade ago, I was especially interested to find records connected to my grandmother's side of the family. Since my dad rarely saw them as a child, I didn't know anything about them. I had no idea if Linda had siblings or even what her parents' names were. Her obituary was the start of a long treasure hunt, and I soon discovered that my great-grandmother had died in May of 2009, just a few months before I began searching. Had I started sooner, I may have been able to connect my dad and uncle with their grandmother but soon i found another interesting tidbit of information when searching through the 1930 census for my great grandfather i found he and his brother's names listed alongside approximately 26 other boys within one household most with different last names these boys lived with jay and mary schaub and their two daughters betty and hazel 26 times next to each young man's name The census enumerator wrote the same word under the column marked Relation. And that word was Pupil. Before and after the census household were more lists of pupils living with nuclear families they had no relation to. This probably doesn't mean anything to you if you're not from Pennsylvania or aren't familiar with Hershey schools, but I'm a Pennsylvanian whose father grew up in Hershey, so this immediately pinged on my radar. No way, I thought. Am I reading this right? I scrolled up to the top of the page and checked the county, Dauphin. Then the township, Derry. Then the town, Hershey. I picked up the phone and called my dad. Did you know that your maternal grandfather went to Milton Hershey? I asked him. Get out of here, he said. He couldn't believe it either. Was this why the boys were sent to the school? A family history? I asked Lloyd. And I know your dad went to Milton Hershey, right? My dad went to Milton Hershey. Okay. And so do you think that he was the one to throw that idea out?
5: No. No. Uh, What I remember about my parents is I think they wanted to take them in. Uh, Because I remember my mom and dad talking about, you know, what to do with the two boys. And we had... Linda was already gone, Frank was already Skip was already gone, John was out. So we had Broom, and I think they wanted to take him in. And I think the Kleins decided that they were going to do. It. And, and you, I, I can't guarantee that, but I, I kind of remember them talking about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, why, if the Kleins wanted the boys so badly, to the point where they effectively shut out the Syberts, did they ultimately send the boys away? We'll learn more after this.
1: Hey, Courtney. Hey, what's up, Craig? Hey, did you know that it takes an average of five seconds to take your eyes off the road to text?
0: You know, that's actually not as bad as I thought. It's just five seconds.
1: Well, I thought so too, but then I asked some of our friends to demonstrate for our listeners just how long five seconds actually is.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's That's pretty bad.
1: Yeah, not only is five seconds a long time to listen to your irritating friends, but it's also enough time to get into an accident.
0: Very, very true. So no matter how irritating they might be, if you love your friends and family, put them first and don't drive distracted.
1: For more information, visit NDD.org. That's NDD.org.
4: Hi, Ryan Starr here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, HiRes. HiRes is a one-on-one podcast with creatives in the Philadelphia design community and beyond about the experiences that have helped shape their careers and influence their work. This Tuesday, May 22nd, listen to host of Here's What I've Heard, Courtney Abood, give a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the creation of the show. New episodes post on Tuesdays every two weeks. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as
1: always, at HiResPod.com.
0: After speaking with my relatives and reading newspaper reports from the time, I started to pick up hints as to why my dad and uncle were sent to Milton Hershey. For instance, the Hanford Sentinel reported on October 7, 1966, a month short of the accident's one-year anniversary.
1: $200,000 damages are sought in behalf of two youngsters orphaned in a November 6, 1965 traffic accident. The complaint for wrongful death and to recover insurance contract benefits has been filed against Kaler and State Farm Mutual Automobile Insurance Company by Carl K. Hargis, County Public Administrator, who has been appointed as acting guardian for purposes of bringing the action in behalf of Jerry Lynn, 6, and Paul Edward Klein, 5. Complaint also alleges the sum of $22,764 is due under terms of insurance carried by Klein and for this purpose, the insurance company is named defendant.
0: That's right. There was money involved. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that my family was filled with greedy money grabbers. Adding two growing boys into your household is an expensive prospect. I should know. I have one of my own, and he never stops eating. Not to mention the rate at which he outgrows his clothing. I understand the sudden burden it would have brought to a young family especially one without a ton of money. The boys were receiving social security funds every month, as is the usual protocol for underage children who lose one or both parents in the United States. Along with any money they received from the insurance claims, these funds were put into a trust that was overseen by a local bank in Lebanon. Whenever the boys went to stay with a relative, that adult could call the bank and ask for the usual disbursement to be sent to their address. This money was meant to feed and clothe the boys, and provide entertainment from time to time. But not everyone had good intentions, and those on the sidelines took notice. Celeste, their cousin on the Cybert side, relayed to me what her mother remembers about the subject.
2: From what my mom heard, of course this is all hearsay, so, you know, we can't, you know, guarantee this is true. But I guess from what my mom heard through my dad and, my grandparents, which would be Fern and Ben, that family members, which ones, I don't know, if it was other Klein family or if it was the Cybert and Achenbach side of the family, were <laughs> complaining that they were spending the boys' money on stuff they didn't feel they should have been spending it on. It should have been being spent on the boys themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, I guess, but I guess they... She said something about a refrigerator. They bought a new refrigerator, and that was something that somebody in the family, not sure what side, were complaining that they were buying, you know, different things that they didn't feel should have been being
0: bought right. with the boys' money. Some of the cyberts were after the money, too.
3: I was very very foggy on the details of my mom's side of the family. I had no idea. my. Grandmother would try to explain it to me, and I was like, okay, there's the bad brother, there's the good brother. I didn't know how many brothers there were. And then Rick took us at one time, took us to the racetracks, and, and at the time I didn't realize it, but that he basically had blown all the money that the bank gave him. And then um, the only good brother was Lloyd, of course, and then he was too young at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I kept hearing about this Grandmother Divine that I had. Have you ever seen anything on her?
0: I had. Grandmother Divine was Linda's grandmother on her father's side. Her husband, Franklin Seibert Sr., was only 26 years old when he fell off a scaffold during a painting job and fractured his skull. His untimely death is the reason why Linda's father and uncle were sent to Milton Hershey. In those days, you didn't have to lose both parents to be called an orphan, just your father. 22 years later, his wife, Ruth, remarried a man named Patrick Devine.
3: I kept hearing about this Grandmother Devine. That's all I kept hearing about, Grandmother Devine. Other than that, nothing. Like, my mother's parents, nothing. Like, that's all I heard was about Grandmother Devine. And I, I remember meeting her, like, twice.
0: While it's bothered Jerry and Paul that they didn't get to spend more time with their maternal grandparents, Celeste feels it's best that the boys weren't raised by the Syberts.
2: Mm-hmm. You know why? Why would they put them at Milton Hershey when there was other family members that that could have taken them? Right. But I'm glad they didn't. Being, you know, my uncle Ben, he's he was just dabbling and stuff that you know he shouldn't have been. You know that that you wouldn't want children into. Right. You know what I mean? Um, same thing with Rick, he was, you know, he was just too, he couldn't settle anywhere, he was always on the move, but he was the one that, you know, took him to the racetrack, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he was, he was fine taking him to doing things with him here and there, but, um, you know, he, he didn't leave the right life, lifestyle, Um, uh, Uncle Lloyd, he was too young, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, um. My my parents, you know, they had three, you know, they had three girls and in a trailer. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that's the reason why, you know, my parents didn't take them in. We just, just didn't have room. But it wasn't talked about a lot, and I, I never knew why. Mm-hmm. I still to this day don't know why.
0: When Jerry and Paul arrived in Pennsylvania, they first stayed with their uncle Bob, who was the first to know of the accident. I spoke to his daughter Renata by phone.
2: Um, the only reason my dad was called is in
6: fact because your your dad had his number in his wallet. Oh. So that's the only contact person they had. So he, he is the one that was uh, worked through the lawyer out there to bring you know bring him in here.
0: Renata mistakenly refers to my grandfather as my dad, but she's saying that Bob's phone number was in my grandfather's wallet. That, coupled with the fact that Bob was the oldest sibling, is probably why he took charge of coordinating the funeral, bringing the bodies home, and working with the folks in Avonall to arrange for the children's care.
6: Yeah, you know, your grandparents were burial, and you know what I mean, and he signed the papers for Jerry, you know, because he was in the hospital,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and stuff, uh, and he brought him in here, brought him back to the UPA. You know, Basically, uh, my mom just had Jake about the same time. She just brought him home when they came in. So shortly after, you know, shortly before they came in. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of hard times dad. um Alice and my grandmother didn't want to start problems. They didn't think we could take, you know, my mom and dad could take care of the boys. So they're the ones that, you know, they were fighting with. And of court, system said it was too much because my mom and dad already had six you know six kids to
0: raise them. Mm-hmm. In case you missed it, she said that the system decided that her parents already had six kids to raise, so bringing on Jerry and Paul would have been too much. But my dad recalls that it was his grandparents who stepped in to take them from Bob's house.
3: But I told you about Marlon mm-hmm. so the the day that my grandparents took us out of. My Uncle Bob's house was the day they came over one day. I, I told you about it. And Marlon started chasing me around with a butcher knife.
0: No, you didn't tell me this.
3: And I'm crying because I'm like, it's a real knife and he's coming after me. And I ran up and my grandmother was standing there and she starts yelling at him and takes a knife from him. And and you know, Marlon, he's just crazy. And he just started laughing. Even as a kid, he was nuts. <laughs>
0: At this point, my Uncle Paul chimes in.
3: Uh, yeah. Like, seriously, he's out of his mind. That, yes. Bob, and he, Bob's family. They're crazy. So, like, the girls were okay. But anyways, so he starts to laugh. He starts to laugh, and my grandmother was like, that's it, we're, we're taking them. And they took us for a little bit, and that's when I went to kindergarten.
4: I remember something about Grandma saying we hadn't, that we hadn't had a bath in, like, a week or something. We were all fricking mud. And well, shit. We were all, like, like I said, I, re- I remember sitting at the table eating mm-hmm. and one of my cousins getting up and hands and knees down the table to get food and then back to his seat.
3: And my grandma used to tell me Bob would drop an engine in the middle of the kitchen and work on it. And the engine would just sit there and he would just work on it, you know, during the wintertime. And remember, they would throw all the trash out back of the house. They never had trash pickup. So the entire house was surrounded by this big just mound bags. of trash. Yeah. And it was like,
4: so... And I remember running around with Jake going somewhere, and this guy cut Jake off. Jake and I, I was in the passenger seat. Jake chased him for over an hour. And when he finally cornered him, he jumped out of the car with a baseball bat and literally destroyed the guy's car. And Jacob was probably the most sane of the bunch.
0: Clearly, Bob's house was probably not the best place for the boys to stay. If they had stayed though, they may have had more information about what happened to their parents' belongings.
4: Well, I got it from one of our cousins, one of his kids, that he basically kept every penny of our parents stuff that was sold in california i kind of heard that the only thing he kept was our daddy's rifle shotgun and pistol
3: yeah i heard that too
4: and that was supposed to go to you but i have no idea what the hell happened to him i'd like you to have that if it's still if it's still around i really would like you to have that
3: I didn't even know. I never pursued that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, Bob kind of conser- deserved a little bit of money because I mean he did take care of us for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean that's how I feel about it. But I, I mean, um, I mean if if they still have it, I'd like it. But um, mm-hmm.
0: I asked Renata about this, but she said her father just left everything up to the lawyers in California. Beyond that, she isn't sure what happened to any of my grandparents' belongings. While Bob's home was a bust and my grandfather's three younger siblings weren't quite old enough to take in Jerry and Paul, there were still four Klein sisters who could have taken care of them. Alice, the eldest sister, wanted them from the beginning. In an email from 2011, Renata's sister Danette explained that Alice worked with her mother to try and take the boys away from Bob, but Jerry and Paul both described her as someone who was always after their money. Their grandmother, Bertha, often warned them of this, so I don't personally believe that they were working together. Alice's sisters both describe her as being hard to get along with, and her niece, Kathleen, told me about random periods throughout her life where her mother would announce that they were no longer talking to certain family members, Alice included. Knowing all this... It's more likely that Alice and Bertha were both independently seeking to take the boys from Bob at the same time. Unfortunately, Alice suffers from dementia, so I wasn't able to interview her to find out her side of the story. Kathleen's mother, Emma, was the second oldest sister. She and her husband considered adopting the boys, and Kathleen says that her parents even went so far as to sit her and her brother down on the couch and ask them how they would feel about it. Kathleen told me that they were excited by the prospect and eagerly said yes. She never understood why those plans never came to fruition. I've lost my window to ask my great-aunt Emma herself. She's still alive, but also suffers from dementia. As we heard in episode two, Jeanette, who now goes by Ginny, hasn't said whether or not she had plans to adopt the children. But she felt strongly that they shouldn't live with her parents, Bertha and Daniel. She noted that her father loved his children dearly, but that any attempt on his part to show affection was met with criticism from Bertha. Because of this, she felt that their home was not a good environment for Jerry and Paul to be raised in, and she told me that she testified in court to that effect. After that, she says she was disowned as their daughter. But let me back it up a second. Ginny testified. In court. My dad was never aware that the fight over he and his brother's custody ended up in front of a judge, but my uncle says that's one of his earliest memories.
4: I have a vague impression of court and a lot of fighting and the judge saying, you're going to Milton Hershey.
0: When he first mentioned this, I remember flashing my dad a look like, do you remember that? I just got a blank face in response. In past episodes, we've heard from Doris, my grandfather's older sister, by roughly two and a half years. She says she was closest to her brother, and that he would have wanted her to take the boys, but that things were so tense that she shied away from the fight.
7: And I never discussed it because there was so much friction in the family regarding your dad and and his brother, you know, who should take care of them. there was big argument over that, you know. And yep. actually two of my sisters never even went to my mother's funeral through that. So it was, I thought to myself, you know, I'll, I'll stay out of it. If anyone should raise Jerry's boys, it should be me, but I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to get involved in any dispute. Uh, You know, I I don't want to fight anyone, you know? So that's, you know, I figured, you know, as close as Jerry and I were, that's the way he would have wanted it. And I know that Linda's family wasn't responsible enough to take care of those boys. Well, they were with they were with my parents to begin with, and uh, I I don't remember how they got out to bombs, but I think because the three sisters started to uh, to argue about things.
0: And which sisters uh, were those?
7: Uh, Jeanette and Emma and Alice. And Emma, Emma was the one that was the instigator because she. She uh, was the one that started all the, the fuss in the family because she thought she should raise the children, and, and but they would have to give their, uh, their benefit checks to her. You know, she couldn't afford to raise them on her own. You know, she would need their, their, their benefit checks, you know, uh, that they would get every month. And my parents said, no, that money should go in the bank. And so they they took it into court to try to get her to take care of it. And then two of my sisters went to court and told them that my my father was an alcoholic and my mother was an unfit mother, that they should not raise those children. Hmm. And so the court just made the decision that they should go to the Milton Hershey School and i said you know with all the fuss and carrying on in the family that would may have been the best decision you know for the boys yeah. it may not have been what they enjoyed or anything but it in the end at least they had their money when they were 18 and they could get an education mm-hmm. so so uh, yeah it like i said my my sister's uh, Emma and Jeanette still never talked to my my mother. And when my sister Jeanette showed up at uh, my father's funeral, I uh, walked over and told her, you know, maybe you should make your amends with mom before it's too late. And she said, if that's all you have to talk to me, I don't want to talk to you either. So I haven't talked to either sister in nearly 60 years. For, the, for Emma and for Jeanette uh, since 1986.
0: To this day, Ginny still thinks about the troubles with her mother. She told me that although she's 82 years old and ultimately forgives Bertha, she can't forget the cruel things that were expressed to her and her siblings as children. Doris, however, remembers things differently. Just a note, when she refers to Jerry here, she means her brother Jerry, not little Jerry Lynn my father
7: i i remember jerry and i sitting in the car and i think i was i was about fifth no if we were sitting in the car i was older i was old enough to drive anyway 16 and jerry a couple of years younger and we were sitting in the car discussing how strict our parents were with us growing up and being ever so glad that they were that we appreciated it and more more parents should be like that Mm-hmm. So it really went against me for my sisters to go into court and say something like they did i you know, my mother, my mother uh when I was eleven months old, I had diphtheria. The doctor told her that which way the wind blows, whether I make it or not, and she said my fever was that high. she carried me around on a pillow because she couldn't stand to touch my body, it was so hot. Mm
0: -hmm.
7: And she paced the floor and she nursed me back to health.
0: Later, when Doris was a bit older, she fell gravely ill again. A word of warning, this story may not be suitable for the squeamish.
7: When I was older, I got a severe severe type of uh, cold. And I don't know if there is such a thing as a red cough or blue cough, but that's what the doctor had told my mother it was. And you cough up big, great, big globs of mucus, mm-hmm. and and Mum used to keep a can behind the old wood stove, so that if we had to spit up this mucus, we could spit it into that can. We didn't have indoor plumbing, so one time I went to spit this phlegm into the can, and I passed out because I couldn't get it. It was blocking my my air, and I couldn't get it out and I passed out on the floor and my mother picked me up and the next thing I know she had me sitting on the cupboard washing my face and she said she had pulled the mucus from my throat so that I could breathe.
0: Okay, if you're skipping ahead, it's safe to stop now. Basically, Doris remembers her mother as someone who took very good care of her, even when the situation got a little, well, sticky.
7: So, you know, she was such a terrible mother, you know, yeah. How could she do those things? You know,
4: mm-hmm.
7: and for them to go into court and and say that publicly, I thought it was so cruel because she worked very hard. She helped. She mixed the cement for my dad to to uh, put the floor in his shop. She did all the gardening. She did all the canning. She had the old ringer type washer and washed. And she took care of eleven of us. You know, I mean, how how can you know? There was always a meal on the table, uh, however small it might have been. But she always figured out how to make something to eat anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, and for for my sisters to to go and say something like that about my parents. Yes, my father drank a lot, but he wasn't an ugly drunk. He was he was a good man. If he he got tired, he laid down. He never argued with my mother. He never hit anybody, and you know he was never an ugly ugly person. He was he was good. He would have given the shirt off his back to anybody. And for them to to go in and say things like they did, it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, mm-hmm. as far as Jerry and Linda. You know, I just say my prayers and and hope they made it.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, the judge decided that the fighting needed to end. The boys needed a long-term home, a place that would provide stability, warmth, and food on the table. And according to that judge, the Milton Hershey School was the place for Jerry and Paul to find those things. So, Bertha packed the boys up, she piled them into the car, and drove eight miles down the road to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And do you remember, like, your first day there?
3: My first day at Milton Hershey? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember going, my grandmother said, we're going to visit this school. And we said, okay, so we went, we got in the car, and we got there and they were the adults were talking for a while. We weren't paying attention. And then my grandmother said, Okay, well, uh, we're leaving now. And I, I turned around to leave with her. And she said, She said, No, you're staying here. And I said, What? I said, What? Well, we're staying here. And she said, You're staying here forever. And then someone said, Well, at least 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And then... And
0: then that was it. Next time on Here's What I've Heard. Here's What I've Heard is produced by Courtney Abood and Craig Brown. Musical direction was provided by Julia Cannon, featuring Bobby Steinfeld on piano. Special thanks to our newest patrons, including Uncle Lloyd himself and our friend Berniel. To be a patron and gain access to exclusive content, including original census documents from the Milton Hershey School, visit patreon.com slash here's what I've heard. That's patreo dot slash here's what I've heard. Have comments or questions about here's what I've heard? Know someone related to this story? Contact us by emailing the team at here's what I've heard